Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today we're speaking with guest expert Jonathan Abrams. Jonathan is a staff writer at the New York Times. His latest book, The Come Up, An Oral History of the Rise of Hip Hop, publishes this month. Let's hear what he has to say about Malice at the Palace. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Becca, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. So, you know, we've been... We read your article, uh, The Oral History of Malice at the Palace, um, and it, it was a fantastic source for us covering this topic. So we're excited to talk to you uh, about it. You know, were you at, at the palace when the fighting ensued, or what brought you to write this article in 2012, which was eight years after the event? I was not. I was in college at the time, and I was just beginning my journalism career. That was one of those moments where you'll never forget where it was when it happened or when you first heard about it. So it was 2004. I was in the beginning of my career. I was coming back from covering like some small high school football game somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Southern California. And one of my friends at USC, she called me. And again, this is 2004. So it was probably like a 
prepaid minute by minute <laughs> Nokia phone. She was like, did you see the, the fight just, just happened in the NBA? And normally when you think of basketball in the NBA, you think it's one shove, somebody shoves another player, and then it's broken up in a matter of seconds. So I didn't think too much of it. I got home, I turned on Sports Center, and what you don't see isn't a fight. It's a riot between players, between fans, between security. It was just pure chaos, something that I had never, ever seen before. So it was a moment in sports that definitely stuck out in my head. And as I progressed in my journalism career, I was at Grantland at the time. I had seen oral histories done before, and it was a type of journalism that I really, really liked. It was almost like a written documentary to me. And Bill Simmons, who ran Grantland, he asked me to look into it. And that was really how it started, how I got into writing that article. So could you walk us through the stakes uh, for that game? What was what was the root of the rivalry between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons in 2004? So there was a lot of stuff bubbling on the surface hitting into that game that I don't think a lot of people realize until after what happened happened. There was the Detroit Pistons coming off of their championship the year before. Nobody had really expected them to win a championship in 2003. They actually beat my Lakers. I remember that because I was in college and they beat a team led by Shaq and Kobe. Nobody expected that. But to get to the championship, they had to beat the Indiana Pacers that season. And the Indiana Pacers were really, really good. They had Reggie Miller, who was probably one of the sweetest shooting guards in his position at the tail end of his career. They really wanted to get a championship for him. In order to fortify their team, they had brought in a player known at the time as Ron Artest, who we know now as Meta World Peace. And he was a guy who could be off and on play-wise, attitude-wise, but he was a really, really good defender, somebody who you want on your team, not against your team. So the, the Detroit Pistons beat the Pacers. They won the championship. We're early into the next season. Indiana is even better. Now they have a guy named Steven Jackson, who's also another really, really gifted player, but who can fly off the handle at times. And there's this early season matchup between the Pistons and the Pacers in Detroit. And the Pacers at that time, they really want to be able to, to show the Pistons that, hey, there's almost a new sheriff in town. If you guys want to try to get to another championship, you have to go through us. And the Pistons, they're a team of hard scrappers, hard workers. They're a team that doesn't really have that one NBA classic star that we think of like a Magic or Michael or Kobe type of player, but they're just a lot of really good players. So there's a lot of pride on that line. And also one of the other factors, and <laughs> this is a long answer. No, I love it. <laughs> So the the other thing is that one of the Pistons' good players, Ben Wallace, his brother had just passed away. So he had that in his head emotionally walking into that game. So you have all these different things coalescing before the game even starts. So let's talk about the game. It's the night of the game. It's November 19, 2004. Take us through the last few minutes of the game that right before the fight started. Well, the whole game... Indiana is doing what they had wanted to come out and do. They're whipping Detroit's butt up and down. Uh, Ron Artest is playing well. Steven Jackson is playing well. Detroit can't really get anything going. This is a game where typically the starters are off the court towards the end of the game, towards the last couple minutes in a blowout. But 
for whatever reason, and I don't know if I think Rick Carlisle was a coach at the time, he, he kept his players in and there was a chance for Ron Artest to meet Ben Wallace and foul him hard for a layup that didn't matter. The game was already over and he took that foul and then chaos ensued. So is there, I'm assuming there's a sort of code for hard fouls um, in the league. Did, did Artest cross the line when he, when he fouled Wallace? So if so, why? Yeah. So generally when the score is a blowout like that, you're just trying to wind down the clock, right? The game's been decided. Nobody's trying to get hurt. Nothing should be contested. Everybody just wants to get home safely without any injuries. And he came across Ben Wallace pretty hard on that foul. Is there something that the refs could have done uh, to get things, you know, even right then and there under control? So (laughs) this other component that's going on at (laughs) that night is that one of the three officials is, is Tim Donaghy. And Tim Donaghy is this official who in later years will be investigated as one of the shadiest officials in the NBA known for fixing games and not fixing games, but I think he just bet on games. But there was a lot of unscrupulous behavior with Tim Donaghy at that time. But then the other thing is that these refs are, you know, they're for the most part little guys (laughs) <laughs> who are up against six foot eight, seven foot guys. And if somebody really wants to get after somebody, then they're not going to pose much of a threat. I laugh because I'm, I'm five feet. So we're not, we're not going to send you out there to break up any fights. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, how, how do you interpret uh, our tests? You know, I, I Right after things start getting heated, he lies down on the scorer's table. Was it gloating or was he actually trying to de-escalate the situation? In the moment, you look at it and you think, like, what is he doing? Right. right? Like, players don't go lie down on a scoreboard, especially when you're the one who sparked this whole confrontation. And and only in retrospect, when you hear him talk about it and and hear what he said and what he was trying to do and what he learned that he had been working with a therapist that season. His therapist told him to take five in order to de-escalate situations. And he was simply trying to lie down and calm himself down. That makes sense. You just the, the whole and I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but the whole messed up thing in this whole arrangement is that the guy who threw the cup had such amazing, perfect aim that I bet <laughs> I bet if you gave him a hundred different opportunities to do that, he could not throw that cup in the same way for it to land on Ron Artest in that same manner. I mean, it was an incredible throw. Uh, now, Pistons fan John Green, who's who we're talking about, he he he's the first to cross the line, and of course, he's the one who throws the cup. That sort of seems to give the other fans in their arena kind of a green light to attack. How how does that quickly get out of hand? I think it was a combination of the cup is thrown and then immediately after the cup, Ron Artest goes into the stands and he tries to confront John Green, but he runs right past John Green and hits what was likely an innocent bystander. And then after that, Steven Jackson runs up, a couple other players run up, and you have this intermingling of the fans and the players where that line is certainly never aimed to be crossed during a game. And 
that night it just got blurred into oblivion. In terms of security at the stadium, was there any? I, I mean, if so, where are they? There were three <laughs> police officers in the arena at that moment. And I think one of them had ran onto the court and didn't recognize Reggie Miller as a player. Reggie Miller was hurt. He had hurt his wrist and he was in a suit. So he had ran up and was like trying to get Reggie Miller off the court because he thought he was a fan. So one of they basically they, there was no security is, is the answer. There were three police officers and three against 20,000, even if they were able to somehow do their job. Uh, I mean, it was an impossible task for them. I mean, th- that seems to have changed or something. I, I don't remember going to any uh, sporting events in 2004. Um, I-, I was too into musical theater at the time. But um, I, and now that I've got, you know, gone to Dodger games or whatever, it feels like there's so much security everywhere. Is it something that has changed? Oh, I think without a doubt. And now something that I've noticed in recent years is that during timeouts or breaks in play, you get up and you see security guards standing on the court with their backs to the court, just scanning the the fans, right? Looking to see is anybody going to try to bum rush the court at this moment or, or anything like that. So I will say security has probably been uh, improving over the years, but even at that same time, there was that, that flash moment, like right after the pandemic, when fans started coming back to the games where fans were really unruly at NBA games and you had, I think Russell Westbrook got popcorn thrown at him or fans were accosting John Morant's family in the stands where it just seemed like, okay, are we going to lead up to another malice at the palace? Because these fans are again, crossing that invisible line where you're supposed to, you're supposed to have this social contract when you go to a sporting event, right? That some of these people don't believe that athletes are people and they don't, they don't see the humanity. They just see them as performers. And I think, that that happened in 2004 as well. So what was the media coverage like after the brawl? Uh, Who bore the brunt of the bad press? It was definitely the players. And even then, you know, just getting into my journalism career, I felt really, really weird about that. The players redeemed thugs and hooligans. And you see that kind of coded language thrown around and you, you know exactly what that means, right? So I was I was thinking about the NBA at that time because 2004, it seems not too long ago, but I was watching the video again yesterday and then like the video is like kind of grainy and then just watching it, it seems long ago, but it wasn't, it, it really wasn't. And it seems like the NBA has come so far along, but back then in 2004, just to put the NBA kind of where it was, the NBA had seen a lot of growth in the 1980s and 1990s. First you had Magic Johnson against Larry Bird, and the league was gaining mainstream popularity. And then you had Michael Jordan come over and be this crossover sensation where you had him as marketable to white people, to black people, to Republicans, to Democrats. He was the pitch man for everything. And basketball had once been seen as too much of a black sport that would never become one of America's most popular sports. But now it had these crossover stars. But 2004 is the first year where Michael Jordan is really, really retired. He had come back with the Washington Wizards for a little while. He's he's out the game. The NBA has been looking for the last few years for a new star, a new Michael to pin its hopes on, basically. In the end term, other players had failed in that role. And what was becoming more and more popular was somebody like Allen Iverson, who was almost like the anti 
Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson was straight hip hop and cornrows and tattoos. And he was the league's most popular player. So the league felt like it had an image problem at that time. They didn't have a Michael Jordan. It was people wondering if corporate America would continue to back it and whether the league was too African-American at that time and trending in the wrong direction. And so when that brawl happened, the players really, really, really did bore the brunt of that punishment and ridicule, ridicule because Commissioner David Stern had to be able to show that, hey, this league isn't too thuggish. It's not too cool. Again, families can feel safe bringing you know, a family forward to a basketball game. Wow. Is, do you feel like there's any moment from the actual uh, footage of the chaos or, or the actual event that w- was underreported? Select, you know, w- were they being selective about how what things were shown or portrayed? I, I don't know. I I think just just in the totality, right? So what what gets thrown the most is Ron Artest running into the stands and confronting the guy who he thought was John Green, the guy who thought who he thought had thrown the cup, or is Jermaine O'Neal pausing when a fan is coming in front of him and trying to lay him out. So it's all that. But, you know, to me, it's, it's also the cup being thrown or once players are running up into the stands, there's fans grabbing players from behind and confronting them. As the players are trying to leave, there's all kinds of liquids being thrown at them in the tunnel and chairs literally being ripped up from the seats of the arena and being thrown at them. So I can definitely see from the players' perspective how this was a fight or flight reflex where they felt like they were literally in danger because a lot of them were, and a lot of them are teammates. And somebody like Steven Jackson was saying that he was going to have his teammate back, teammates back no matter what, which is why he ran up into the stands when he did. How do you think that uh, malice at the palace affected the legacy and careers of some of the key players that night? I th- think it was really tough because Ron Artest asked for a trade afterward and he ended up later winning a championship with the Lakers. And even right after he won the championship, he said that he wanted to apologize to people like Jermaine O'Neal and people on the Pacers. Cause he felt like a coward leaving that situation and almost selfish for later winding up with the championship and Reggie Miller retired right after that season So Jermaine O'Neal really bore the brunt of the Pacers moving forward where the whole occasion probably wasn't wasn't his fault. But I feel like his career really suffered after that. And I think it was Artest got suspended for the year. Steven Jackson was 30 games and Jermaine O'Neal was 25 games, if I remember correctly. I've seen that footage where Ron Artest, right after he wins the the championship, and the first, you know, it feels like it's the first thing that comes to mind when he's yeah. asked how he feels, and it really shows the impact of of what that's had on his life, and 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 I'm sure the the guilt he must have felt, I guess. Yeah, because that wasn't like it was a moment that happened the next season. That was six years later when he won his championship with the Lakers. It's wild. Um, do you think that there's anything positive that came out of out in the aftermath of of this, you know, moment in sports history? I think for a while that line was more sacred and it wasn't going to be crossed again. Now I think that fans have 
forgotten it to a point or I do. I was wondering this yesterday. Do you think that it would have this lasting legacy if it had happened just at some arena, like <laughs> the fight at the blue arena? It, I think the malice at the palace just has like that, that rank, that eternal ring to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, here at the alarmist, we try to learn about history so that it doesn't repeat itself, but it feels like this one is being forgotten and is close to being repeated is what you're saying. I mean, I, I hope not, but you just see stuff happen so often. And especially, I don't know if it was just that people were so cooped up during the pandemic, but there was this brief moment. And I, I wrote about it for the times where there was like three or four incidents in a row of fans just, really, really crossing that line. So, Jonathan, at the end of the day, we, we always like to ask our guest experts this question. Uh, at the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for what happened at Malice at the Palace. John Green. <laughs> and, and his aim. I'll even be more specific. And his aim. <laughs> The laws of gravity, right? Exactly. <laughs> like I would want what's what's that one game where you is it cornhole? Like where you throw it and try to get it in there? In I the would hole? want him on yeah. my I would want him on my team for that. That's probably the only time you'd want him on your team, right? Yeah, that's that's the only redeeming thing is that you know he's good at that game. <laughs> well, thank you, Jonathan, for talking to us and helping us understand this uh important event we shouldn't be forgetting about. Anytime, Rebecca. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustoleum hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home but you're not always at home you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host since 2013 bombas has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness if we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. Um, so interesting to talk to Jonathan. Uh, it almost made me enjoy talking about sports. <laughs> you, you, sound, you sounded like you like talking no, about I sports. No, I did. Because <laughs> yeah. when we watch sports together... You barely look at the TV. You're always wa- looking on your phone. And, yes. Mm, <laughs> well, if there were if a anything tragic you event, she would be me. on it. I, 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 I was so <laughs> intrigued. <laughs> I, I really liked his article, too. The oral, oral histories are really interesting. You get to hear the different voices of people who are really there and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of organizing and curating that is, is, is a special yeah. skill. I thought it was really good. It, I mean, it, it reads like... He said the article really reads like a documentary. Yeah. Like he he said, so you kind of feel like you're getting into the head of 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 the of the key players, the players that were there. Yeah. You know that were there. So a lot uh, he discussed. I know you guys were taking notes as he was. Yeah. Um, talking. So my first, my yeah my main question is uh you know to pointing to what Jonathan said is like does this whole thing even happen happen without John Green's like lucky or perfect aim. Like if he hadn't right. thrown that thing and hit our test, would the whole thing kind of settled down? Like it seems it's like even, it's even it's it's definitely I think he made a really good case for look. Like, yeah, if that doesn't happen, I mean our test just doesn't go does he does it go into the stands? No, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I mean, so that is a hundred percent like the critical critical moment wouldn't you say yes uh if the cup is not thrown does this happen in the first place <laughs> and it's it's and and, and they t- ask that question and that that question right. is mm-hmm. is posed and i think the answer is no yeah because you, right? if the cup doesn't get thrown the fight doesn't happen the you look back on the fouls and you say our test fouled them hard and you don't even wouldn't know it wouldn't even be a footnote in the in the in the league I mean, things got heated. I do. I do think the things were heated yeah. before the cup was thrown, right? But it's like when things are escalated, that's when you're trying to de-escalate, right? Right. Yeah. But that was a clear escalation of the conflict. Mm-hmm. That cup from out of nowhere, and it's like mm-hmm. right. that's it. It's like it was the done. spark that set off the powder keg, yeah. right? And and again, like we we talked about this on the uh, episode um, with Kenny. It, it's like there's this. Uh, as a fan, these people are not your friends, right? You don't know them. They have this this way of of dealing with one. Uh, you know, they're, they're like different players. They're like <laughs> actors in a play. Yes, you that's know, like true. like it's like they have a, a choreography, right? And you they're you don't just in a restaurant. Get on they stage. know how to work around each other. <laughs> Like, like you don't go on stage and just like assume you know the choreography as well. <laughs> like mm. these are, are this is a professional setting, right? So, um, you, you don't know. try and stop uh, Hamlet from from killing his uncle. Or no, <laughs> just because you, you know how it ends. Hey, hey, hey! Give me that. What are you doing <laughs> over with that? Hey, hey! Not Run the play. Um, but um, you know. A- anyway, it it just made me think. Like also, what uh. What Jonathan was talking about, how how the stakes of the situation. Yes. Um, yeah, it was so interesting. Yeah. To to hear all the the backstory and how how heated it was because I, I forgot 
that this was like an early game in the season. Yeah. So it's like it, it couldn't the stakes couldn't be lower. Well, in th- terms that's not. Of, but I mean, but okay, it, yeah. It, the 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 Pacers were built to win a championship, and so they were under a lot of pressure. They you know with Reggie Miller soon to be retiring, and the right. the Pistons were the defending champs, and they feel like they have something to prove. Um, so there's there there was that history and pressure and build up, but you're right, it was a regular season game, and it certainly didn't need to be this intense, this intense as it was. Yeah, I think it's a good point though. You know, like actors in a play, uh, these players are not just like machines who are playing a game, and like they are living, breathing human beings who yeah. have their own life happening and they have their own anxieties and their own pressures right. and their own things that they bring with them to the court. And right. emotions can be high and something yeah. can set you off. And that's like, that's just a part of the reality. And, you know, they're professionals, so they know how to channel that energy into their play, just like any, you know, performer would right. know channel that energy into their performance. Yeah. Like that's why they're professionals. Right. But like, right. it doesn't right. mean that they're not affected. No. And I think that that demands respect from a fan. And, you know, the fan thinks, well, if I can put on a jersey and care as much about winning or I'm on the team, if I put the jersey (laughs) on, I'm on the team. I'm just like them. Those are my friends. You know what I mean? Like, these are my friends. But like, they're not. They're not. Those are professionals, like you're saying. It makes you think about celebrity, you know, because how often do you uh, see... I mean, this has happened to me in LA where I will like see someone uh, at a coffee shop be like, I know that guy. Right. Oh, man. I feel familiar because I've seen <laughs> yeah. all the yeah. seasons of their show. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it's like, I'll be like, how do I know him? You know, even if you can't pinpoint, I'll be like, oh man, I know him. I, I did I work with him? What's the thing? And then yeah. you realize, oh no, it's Mark Ruffalo. You know? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, not my no. friend. Just an Academy Award winning actor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you see Tom Hanks out in public and you just want to give him a big hug and be like, hey dad. <laughs> right. Um, You know, the, these again these are not your friends these are not your <laughs> friends Cause just because you watch them every weekend right no other I like do. there's no other profession that you would see someone and be like i think i know that person i should just go up and be like hey hi like i i like your work or whatever like it's yeah. like that person's eating lunch with a friend or a family member yeah. they are having their own personal time you don't need to j- walk up there and get in their no. business i mean I wish, I wish that would happen to like, uh, if you're a, let's say you're a doctor, you just like work at accounting at a a law firm or something, you know, I'd be like, Hey, love your accounting work. I love, I love your work. (laughs) Yeah. These are the people who need the praise. Yeah. Yeah, There's a really, really really funny key and peel, uh, sketch about what if teachers were paid as much as athletes and they have the mm. whole ESPN channel oh, dedicated to like, to like h- how what teachers are getting paid of what and stuff like that. <laughs> I gotta watch that And sketch. highlights of them like coming out of the classroom and stuff. <laughs> it's really good. So uh, Jonathan ended up sending uh, John, John Green, Green to the alarmist. Mm-hmm. And there was not a moment's hesitation. Not a no. He didn't even yeah. let me finish the question. <laughs> John Green and he didn't his know it aim. was coming. Yeah, John Green. And so Clayton, what did remind us? What did we end up sending to the alarmist jail? So we gave John Green the big slap, and we gave oh, uh, or we put bad fan behavior in jail, which John uh, Green is obviously part of fan base. Yes, um, yes. 
But so I, I'm we actually, went with concept over person here. But I actually feel that Jonathan got, is right. I think without John Green, perhaps the f- bad fan behavior is not uh, uh, inspired or something. Mm. You know, mm. like I feel like he led the parade. Right. Sure. So maybe we swap it and we slap bad fan behavior and we throw John Green in jail. Yeah. Because okay. Bad fan behavior for being followers, essentially. But John Green, and I know it's half of it is luck, right? Because right. if he had just thrown that cup and it missed, then we wouldn't be talking about John Green. No. Sure. And I think if he had, a, like Jonathan said, if he had 30 more chances at that shot, he would have missed every right. one of them. Um, uh, but still, as followers, the, you know, the the rest of the uh, fans in the arena should not have just like jumped to the mm-hmm. uh, jumped at the opportunity you right, know? right right and if kenny were here he would be saying this is all society's fault like he was yes on the initial so <laughs> i think we're still in his good graces yes <laughs> okay so i'm gonna switch it up john green pack your bags you're going to the alarmist jail he thought he'd gotten away with it, but he didn't. Sorry, buddy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Pick up the corn. We have cornhole in one of, in, in the yard. <laughs> you'll be a prof- you'll be a professional. Uh, uh, before we go, I just want to take a quick moment to remind our listeners: rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we're not going to read a a, a a review today because you know what? There haven't been any new reviews, so it helps us stay on the charts. It helps it helps us attract new listeners. So please, if you want us to continue making episodes, and you haven't already done so, rate, review, subscribe. We really appreciate it. And stay tuned because next week we are going to be discussing La Voison and the affair of the poison. Powered by ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. 
it'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.